0: awesome tremendous season as a church and we're believing the lord for promises amen somebody say promises i don't know about you but i just feel like there are certain seasons you want to believe that god's in every season you want to believe that god and he is right he's in everything that we do but there are times where you don't know if god is there and you just going on a women of prayer blind faith i think god said this right but then there are other seasons where you know the lord has spoken And you are walking in that promise by faith, and I want to talk to the church from that vantage point today, because I believe that we are in a season of promises, amen? And season is a churchy word. If you're new to church, it just means a span of time, right? That in the place that we're in, we're transitioning from where maybe in previous months, years, it was like God had us processing, but now God wants to do a new thing and bring us to a new place, amen? Amen. Even as we transition and as we are in the process still of closing on the new facility, the prayer of the church should be, Lord, how do we go into that new place? We don't want to go in as a congregation with our old stuff. Me and my wife recently moved to a new home last year, and we emptied out a lot of stuff that we didn't even know why we had it. As I said that, I remember I still got stuff at Pastor David's house. I got to go pick it up. And I just you have stuff for days you don't even know why it's there it's like that in your walk with God and in your life you just put stuff everywhere but when the Lord is trying to bring you to a place of promise or to a place of of intimacy with him or to a new thing that he's trying to do in your life there has to be a cleansing and there has to be us as believers setting aside and setting ourselves apart for the things of God now I want to challenge you that we are living in a culture that does not honor God. We are living in a time where, especially even in the church, there's such a biblical illiteracy that people don't want to live holy for God anymore. And individuals think that holiness is whatever you make it to be. And people are pushing the limits of sin and they are pushing the limits of of just the scriptural context and, and they're pushing it to the edge to see what can we get away with and grace still cover us. What can we do and and still have grace? And many in the church, I'm not talking about lost people, have abandoned a holy lifestyle and we've embraced materialism and synchronism and carnality. But I just want to challenge you and encourage you that Jesus Christ is looking for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Some of you are okay walking around looking like a cow with spots and wrinkles. But the Bible says that Jesus is looking for a group of people when he returns that have not spot nor wrinkle that we would be in the image of God. But what does it mean in 2023 to, to walk into promises number one, but then to live holy for the Lord in a season and a culture that dishonors God and is pushing the limits of sin in every single area. Over these next couple of weeks, you might not like me or whoever's preaching because we're going to talk about holiness. We're going to talk about being set apart. We're going to talk about getting your life together for the glory of God. But here's why we're talking about it. Because if God is bringing us to a new place, we can't bring some of the old stuff with us. That was a great place for all the church to be like, amen. If you're new to church, you don't know what amen means. It means so be it. So every time you say amen, you're telling God, I fully agree. Some of y'all are like, I shouldn't have said that, praise God. (laughs) Joshua chapter 3 verse 1 today is my text from the ESV and it reads this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Tell the person next to you, we haven't gone this way before. Verse 5, our centerpiece for the sermon today. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, meaning in a season to come, the Lord will do wonders among you. Come on, let's bow our heads and go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just set our hearts on you this morning. Lord, open our spiritual ears to hear what you would desire to speak over your church this morning. We know that you're doing a new thing, whether through facilities, through music, through your spirit, God, you're doing so much in this house. But Father, we don't want to go the same way we came. We want to enter into the new thing, Lord God, filled with your spirit. So over these next five weeks, Father, I pray that you would open the ears of your church. you would make our hearts good ground we would not just be hearers of the word but we would be doers of the word come on we pray this in the name of Jesus and the church says every few months in my household I sit down um, at my laptop or while I'm in bed or in the kitchen and I bust out my trusty handy-dandy budget sheet and I Set up my budget for the next few months. If anybody knows me, um, you know I live and die by my budget sheets. uh, Because when you're a pastor on a fixed income, you got to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. And I would challenge every man in this room to be living your life with a budget. And the whole church says amen. amen. Biblical proof for that, Jesus said no man should build a tower and not count the cost. Lest you start building it and are unable to finish it and people call you a fool. 2023, that's who would build a household and not have a budget. By the end of the month, when you're out of money, you can't pay your bills. People gonna be like, you're crazy. That's the Ebonics version. Praise God. So every, every, every few months, I set my budget up. I just did my July, August, September, and October budget. Set it all up. so I can know what goes where. So Pastor Mary, I set it up. The first column is generosity. I set apart. Money for the Lord Jesus. Then the next column is building fund. I set apart money for the city legacy project. Then I set apart money for my future because ain't nobody going to pay for my future but me. I'm not leaning on Uncle Sam. Praise the Lord. I put money into retirement funds, Roth IRAs, mutual funds. I invest heavy, right? And then after all that, I start paying that guy named Bill. I pay bill one by one and I set apart if my kids need clothes, if my kids need sneakers, if they want to do extracurricular things or vacation every month, I will put money aside for oil changes, for things like that, for car taxes, because we know they're coming. Yeah. Some of y'all act surprised every January and July. I don't know. Oh my God, I'm being attacked by the enemy. No, we know car taxes come and we know when they come. And so I set it up and I set it apart. And when I receive my money, I take everything that I have set apart and put it in the buckets, proverbially speaking, of where it goes. Now, this may be a very oversimplification of what it means to set something apart. But when you set something apart, you have a purpose for it. The only difference between God and my budget sheet is God don't want a portion. He wants the whole thing. And he's saying to you, when you set apart your life for me, it avails you to be used by me. And I pause there for a second to say that I understand in today's culture to be used by someone or somebody is usually a bad connotation. But in God's economy, it's not. To be used by God means to be utilized for your original intention. That means taking your life and what he made you for and what he designed you for, he uses you for that task. If you had an iPhone 14 or one of those demonic new um, Android phones that some of you carry with a little demon around on the back of it. um, If you had one of those and you just used it as a paperweight, but you never, ever use it to make a call, people would say you're not using it for its intention. And so you were made by god for a purpose you were made by god for an intention and when your life is set apart for god what you're saying is this is god i agree with your design for my life i agree with what you have for me and i have set myself apart so that you can utilize me to the best of your abilities to how you have desired to use me now in the verses that we just read Joshua, the son of Nun, he is leading the people of Israel, Israel being the nation of God, the people of God who had come out of slavery 40 years prior and they had spent 430 years in Egypt in slavery. Moses goes in, if you've seen the movie Ten Commandments, you know, he sends the plagues by the hand of God, all this stuff happens, Israel leaves Egypt and they end up in the wilderness to meet with God but they begin to sin and we look at Israel and we think to ourselves, all that God did for them and they start making a golden calf in the wilderness and they start complaining and bickering and they start this and murmuring against Moses and against God and I think that sometimes we underestimate how hard that season was for them and we overestimate how we would have reacted because you're saying to me God's never done a miracle in your life and a couple weeks later you were still anxious and depressed I don't want to hear that one okay You're telling me that God has never had a breakthrough in your life, but then you still on the back end go back to your pet sin? Okay, all right, okay. All right, I got you. So you're telling me, you're telling me that God has never performed something miraculous for you and you have not stepped back to the same old struggle that he just pulled you out of. You said, God, if they ain't for me, Take them out of my life. Now I'm getting real personal. They called you up and said, it ain't working for me. And then you started praying, God, I know that's my man. Oh, I know that's my wife. Would you bring them back, Lord? And he's like, I ju- you just asked me. Some of y'all got schizophrenic prayers. <laughs> bipolar prayers. double personality prayers. And God's like, I, I'm trying to do something in your life that's new, but you're so stuck in the old. And so Israel was stuck in the old and they began to spy out the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham 430 years prior. And they begin to sin because they think they can't take the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, these two guys who had serious faith in God. And they're like, we can do it. Everybody else is like, nah, bro, we can't do it. And so what happens? Well, the scripture says that God grew angry with them. They muttered against God. They bickered. They complained. But don't worry, you've never done that. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because they complained. Here's what God did. God waited for every adult in Israel to die. And for the next generation to rise up to take the promised land. And only two remain. Not even Moses made it. Joshua and Caleb. And now Joshua, he is the one who is leading Israel, and that's where we find ourselves in this text. Joshua was groomed by Moses himself, and he saw firsthand how God worked. He was there when Moses had his encounters with the Lord. If you read the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, you begin to see that Joshua was with Moses in every interval. When they met face to face with God, he was at the foot of the mountain waiting for Moses. And you look at the text, you'll find Joshua is always there. And here's what the Bible says that Joshua instructs the people in this way. Follow the Ark of the Covenant as the Levites begin to move through the camp. The Levites being the priests of God, the men of God who were in charge of the Ark of the Covenant, the tents of meeting and leading God's people in priestly duties. He says, follow the Levites. Now this might be like a... A detail we might read over. God says to follow the ark. Okay, we're going to follow the ark. But this is important for us because first of all, God always guided Israel previously through the word of Moses or through a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was the medium by which God led Israel in the wilderness. He led them by the cloud where the Bible says there was an angel in the cloud leading Israel. And at nighttime, it would turn into a fire. Could you imagine having a permanent nightlight in the wilderness? Like, thank the Lord. And here goes Moses. He's leading them that way. But when Joshua comes to the promised land, he says, there's a new way that God's going to lead us. And it's not going to be like the old way. I want to challenge every person in this room that when you step into places that promise and seasonal shifts in your life, that God might not talk to you the way he usually talks to you. That God might not communicate with you the way he always does. He might choose a new way to lead you. Before, it was the pillar and the cloud, and now it's the ark where the presence is. It's the ark of God where the presence Here's what he says, stand back from the presence because you don't even know where you're going, but follow the presence. The ark of God being the the physical manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God in the earth at the time. And Joshua is saying, stay 2,000 cubits back. Stay far from this because you are following a new way that you haven't gone before. New places of promise in your life might call for God. You're trying to get a hold of God the way you always did. God might not speak to you through your gifts anymore. In that season, he might not use the same mediums by which he always, he might not bring the same prophet. He might bring the person you don't like. And the fact that you have people that you don't like is other stuff that God has to work on. He might use a, he might use a coworker. He might use a billboard. He might not use your prophetic gift. He might not use the tingly feeling you always get. He might not give you the goosebumps this time. He might just speak to you clearly. And if you listen, you listen. And if you follow, you follow. If you don't, you don't. But new places call for God to use new means by which to communicate with us. But here's what Joshua says in verse 5. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. In other words, purify yourself. Do the ritual cleansing of your body before you cross over. And here's why we do this. Here's why, beloved. Because the Lord wants to work miracles among you. He says, the Lord wants to work miracles among you. So he's saying, before we cross over, you have to consecrate. Here's point number one of three today, that consecration comes before the crossing. If as a church, we're going to go into places of promise, then as a church, we have to consecrate our lives before the Lord. I want to say that again. That was a great place to be like, amen, Pastor Lewis. We're going to consecrate before the Lord. If God is going to bring us to places of promise, the church needs to be in consecration. We need to be at a place where we're saying, God, I understand what you're doing and I want to bring holiness to my life. I want to align myself with your word. Far too often in our walk with the Lord, we don't desire to do the work of holiness. I want to stop for a moment because I grew up under a very legalistic Pentecostal worldview and and it's an improper worldview. Holiness is not something that we achieve. That was a great place to be like, thank you, Lord. You don't achieve holiness. We receive holiness. That when we are justified and sanctified and made right with the Lord, that we are given to us holiness. Like he makes us holy because he is in us. Now, our job at that point is not to live for holiness, but to live from holiness and to have a holiness of the heart. Holiness is not about how you come dressed to church, although how you dress can make you unholy. God, I don't want to hear that. Mm, okay. Pastor David didn't want that one. Your behavior does not make you holy. But your behavior can make you unholy. It's weird. You can't make me more Puerto Rican than I am. Some people be like, you are so Puerto Rican when I do certain things. I'm just loud. Like, why is he angry? He's not. He's just Puerto Rican. He's loud. My kids, why are you yelling? I'm not. I'm just, what are you talking about? This is yelling. I'm just loud. It's like, okay, dad, okay. You go to a Puerto Rican household, Tons of Puerto Ricans, you're going to think everyone's fighting. I did my DNA test. I'm telling you, I can't get more Puerto Rican than I am. Just, I just can't. You can't get more holy in the sense of how you are, but your job is to live in accordance with what God has given you. We live from holiness, not for holiness. He has done it for us, but we have a job As believers, to walk in purity, to purify our lives. You cannot tell me that you've been saved by Jesus Christ, but have a porn collection at home. You got to purify that. Y'all don't want to hear that one. Okay. You cannot be like, yo, I am saved, but you're getting drunk all throughout the week. You cannot say that I'm living holy for the Lord, but you're living in debauchery and sin. Joshua says, you got to consecrate yourself. Now, this is a theme through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because some hyper-grace people would say, well, Jesus did it all for me. I'm always holy. I'm always this. I'm always that. That's, that's greasy grace. That's greasy grace. That's not, that's not what the scripture says. Listen to James chapter 4, verse 8. James being the, the bishop of Jerusalem who, who took care of the church in Jerusalem. He says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Do you see that? There's an onus on your side. There's a, there's a ownership on your end. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Who's he talking to? He ain't talking to the lost people. He, and purify your hearts. There's a role that you have in this. The role that you have in this is not to be or become what he says you are. It's to live in accordance to what he has said you are. You are a son. I don't wake up and try to be Puerto Rican. I am. You don't wake up and try to be a son or daughter of God. You are. But now, how does a son or a daughter act? In my house, I say, well, Burgosers don't do that. I remember one time I picked my daughter up from school, and I said, how are you doing your test? And she says, I'm a Burgos. I got a 100. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. And I said something to her last night. I forgot what it was, and she gets in the car. She's like, come on. Oh, I said, because she went skating for the first time at a party, and she's never gone skating before. I said, said, how'd you do, Aria? She goes, in true Burgos fashion, I only fell twice. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm talking about, right? You don't wake up trying to be you. We don't have to try to be something we're not. We have to live in alignment as to what we actually are. If the Lord says that you are his son, his daughter, and he has broken bondage over your life, then live in accordance with that freedom. The work of the enemy is, am I free? Did God say, am I forgiven? And we wrestle with shame and guilt based on our past. This theological theme of self-purification is not that we would earn something, but it's that we are living in accordance to what we have been given. If I give you a promotion at your job and your boss gives you a promotion, you don't go to work every day and say, hey, do I still have that promotion? You might have to chase him for the raise. (laughs) <laughs> but you ain't got to chase it for the title because they gave it to you. Now, are you living and working in accordance with what you've been given? Religion will make you work for it, but, but Jesus wants you to walk in it. This type of Christianity, though, is far from the life of many that you were to walk in holiness because many people don't want to do the work of purifying your life. Just because Jesus accepts you as you are does not mean that as you are is acceptable. In his grace, in his mercy, he accepts us as we are, but he changes us from the inside out and it makes us a new creature, a new creation. Are you living brand new? I said this for years, that when you come to church, your family should be like, yo, why are you acting brand new? Because I am. Did you not read the scripture? Did you not know what the word of God says? That he has made me a new creature? Joshua is looking at Israel and saying, we're going to the promised land. And I want to challenge you. He's saying to them, you have to get your stuff together. It was a ceremonial cleansing. but There's a deeper meaning here. Because Israel, if you look at the end of Joshua, they were still serving false gods. Look at the first chapter of Judges. And after God did all of that, gave them the promised land, these people still fell away from God. And the saddest, one of the saddest verses of Scripture is in the book of Judges, where it says, And a generation who did not know the Lord rose up. How can a generation after you've been freed by, by 10 plagues, you saw the Red Sea broken open. You saw the, the Jordan River drained out for yourselves. You saw Jericho walls fall down and God opened up an entire land and nation and no army could stand before you. How can that people turn from God? Man, if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. Now, in the biblical times, Exodus 19 verses 10 to 15, it exemplifies for us that people before they encounter God would always go through a process of purification and consecration. That they would wash their garments, they would wash themselves, and they would present themselves as ceremonially clean. And in Exodus 19, they encounter God at the mountain. And here's what this tells us, that every place of promise and presence comes with a process. Here's point number two, that every place of promise requires a process in our lives. And I believe that many believers today, and I've been pastoring 15 years now, we don't like the process of God. We don't like the process of God because the process of God is often uncomfortable, it is painful, and it is challenging in our lives. But the process of God is for our good, it is for our benefit. We cannot push against this process of God for Israel he processed them in the wilderness he had to get the slave mentality out of them he processes them again right before the promise and he's saying hey I want you to consecrate I want you to put all the things aside I want you to come before me clean the problem with with the church nowadays is that we have abandoned many believers have abandoned orthodoxy we've abandoned traditional beliefs and so we, we, we are engaged in sin, but we don't think it's sin for us. What, you, what is in your home? What are you watching? What is the standard you have set as to what you're going to put into your body? Is drinking a sin? No, but, but if you have no self-restraint, you shouldn't be drinking anything. If you have an addicted personality, you shouldn't be having anything that can, men- that can challenge your, your, your mental well-being. What might be profitable for or possible for you isn't profitable for you. Are you engaging in premarital sex, young adults? Last time I checked, it's still a sin. Same-sex relationship, still a sin last time I checked. The Bible hasn't changed. The scripture is old, but it's gold. It's still, it's still good for this generation. We look at all these things. Gossip is still a sin last time I checked. All that social media indirecting you kids be doing, y'all gotta chill with that. All the subs and indirects, that immaturity, telling somebody else's business, immaturity. Paul says, when I became a man, I I put away childish things. The drunkenness, the the debauchery, the immorality, the pornography, the the, the masturbation, the self-hatred, the witchcraft, the rebellion. All the synchronism in the church. I checked my horoscope this morning. What? What's your sign? The cross? Jesus? Jesus? I, I'm not mixing that with. Oh, I went for Reiki. You went for what? You went for demons. What you went for? Well, not everything's so spiritual. Maybe it is. We can't engage in what the world does and think that we're going to be separate. We think that just because we don't do it in public, we all right. Can I challenge you that private sins lead to a public hell? Can I challenge you? My father would say to me all the time, he said, there's a high price to pay for low living. There's a high price to pay for low living. You have to make sure you're living your life right. You have a job. You can't just be like, Jesus is the answer. Jesus, 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 grace, grace, grace. We can't trample on the grace of God. Oh, I know I was wrong, but I'm just grateful for grace. Where's the brokenness of heart? Where's the, where's the brokenness for our sin? Where is the repentance that should come when we fall into sin? Where is that in the church? And why have we become so comfortable with compromise? Can I tell you that your unforgiveness is still a sin? That your bitterness and your rage and your anger that leads to you acting out in sin is still wrong before the eyes of God. That Romans thirteen fourteen is still a command for the church to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I remember years ago, I struggled heavily smoking Newport 100s. I, I love Lewis Burgos. I've said this all the time. He loves smoking cigarettes. Some of you don't want to agree with that because you know you did too. Praise the Lord, but that's fine. That's fine, right? I used to love me some cigarettes. That was my thing. And then I said to myself, well, I'm just not going to buy packs anymore, Kyle. Kyle, I said, I'm not going to buy packs anymore because if I don't buy the pack, then I won't smoke the whole pack. So instead, I was being smart And I went to the corner store and bought Lucy's instead. Because at least, you know, I wasn't buying the whole pack. And then I realized that buying Lucy's is more expensive than buying the pack. And I was paying a higher price for the same sin. And that's what people don't realize, is they're paying a higher price for the same sin. Because once you know, and once the Lord speaks to you, and you continue in that sin, you're paying a higher price. And what began to happen in my life was I had to choose at some point, am I going to love this more or am I going to love God more? Because I have to be an example. If you smoke cigarettes, I'm not knocking on you. I'm saying what my process was with God. The Lord spoke to me. He told me, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I said back to him, it's a round temple, but it's a temple, Lord Jesus. It's a temple, God. But I had to choose whether I was going to love my sin or love God. And then repentance is me hating what I once loved. It's not me going back to my sin like a dog to its own vomit. It was me saying, God, I want you first. That I had to live set apart for you. That I had to say, God, whatever you want of me. You see, many people, we want God to use us and to utilize us, but we don't want to be clean. They don't want that no more. When I go to the corner store and I watch them cook me a sandwich, I check the grill real quick. When I go out to eat, I check the cups, I check the forks because if the cups, the forks and the plates ain't clean, what's happening in the back? And sometimes I'll be that person. Can I get a hot cup of water and stick my fork in there and make sure that there's nothing in there? How is it that only in the church we want the vessels to be dirty, but be used by God? I don't care how good the food is in the restaurant. If the plate is dirty and the fork is nasty, I'm not going to partake of it. The world does not care how good God can be if his vessels are filthy. If his vessels are dirty. I'm walking up your street right now. Because you understand that in any area of your life where you know there is unconfessed sin or a pattern of sinful behavior, then you have to say, if I'm going to be used by God and I want to be a part of a congregation that is going places with God and God's doing something special and new in them, then I have to consecrate myself and set myself apart. I have to repent from known sin. I have to walk away. I have to stand before God and say, God, what do you have for me? What should I change? Where in my life should I... Shift some things. What boggles my mind is this. Well, I, I'm pretty practical in my life. I, Eva, I think I'm pretty practical. And I would think that if we're crossing over into a promised land and we're about to fight a bunch of nations that are already there, because only God will give you promises or somebody else owns, right? I would think, I would be like, hey, sharpen your sword and make sure your shields are ready. God's not concerned with practical. He's concerned with spiritual. He didn't care about how sharp their swords were. He didn't care about how well maintained their shields and their armor was. He wants to know about your spiritual condition. He says it's more important for you to not sharpen your sword, but for you to sharpen yourself. It was more important for, for, for Joshua to have a people cross over who were not only prepared for battle, but they were prepared for worship. So many of you are ready for war, but you're not ready for worship. You're ready to fight, but you're not ready to be faithful. Somebody insults your church, you're willing to fight. Somebody insults your Jesus, you don't care. I'll leave that there. Praise God. The church can't have a gang mentality. We're not a gang. We're we're not a gang. We are a people, a royal priesthood after God's heart. A royal priesthood after God's heart. That's who and what we are. We have to have that mentality. He says to us, are you ready to cross over? Because if you are, you have to consecrate. If you're going to go this way, you have to do that. And you you might say, well, how do I consecrate? The basics. First John 1.9 tells us if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive. Maybe you need to sit before the Lord and ask him what is in your life that is not of him. And as I've been preaching, some of you know exactly what is in your life. You know. And if you're sitting here saying, get him, pastor, get him. I'm talking to you. What is in your house? What is in your life? What are you watching? What are you partaking of? What are you doing? Because even that negative thinking towards others is sin in and of itself. Maybe you have that that older brother prodigal syndrome where you're the older brother in that story and you are self-righteous. And you think you have it all together. If you're sitting here saying, I'm so excited about this, holding this series for everybody else around me because they don't need this, Richard. They, I know a couple of people I'm going to be inviting. Invite yourself. Because if you invite other people who don't know Jesus and they look at you and say, this is all about you. Your is on it. I'm going to leave that alone. Praise God. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You know, all across the country, people are calling out for revival. They're crying out to God to show up in churches. They, they want revival. We hear this language in church and, and, and in Christendom a lot. We need a reformation. We need an awakening. We need all these things. But people are calling on God as filthy vessels. We have people wanting the presence and the power and the purpose, but not the processes of God. And they don't want to do the hard work of aligning their lives, repenting and turning from sin. They don't want to do the hard work of, Of getting before God and purifying ourselves. For tomorrow, Joshua says, the Lord will do wonders among you. I want to challenge you that the Lord desires to do manifestations of power in the church. The Lord desires to do manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the church. When the Lord sends manifestations, he calls for consecration in the house of God. Here's point number three. God calls for consecration before he sends manifestations. The church wants manifestations, and then they would do the consecration. If God shows up, I'll clean my act up. Man, if the power of God hit the room, I'd probably run from every sin. You should run from it still. The scripture says, make no provision for the flesh. Just like old Lewis had to find out if I stopped buying the cigarettes, I wouldn't have them to smoke. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't go to the websites. Don't call the people that you fall into sin with. Don't do those things. Make no provision. What are you providing for in your life that God says provide for me over that? God wants to send a move in his spirit. I-, I believe that with all my heart. God wants to move in the church in a way that it was designed to carry the glory of God. The Shekinah of God. The weight of his presence. God wants that in the earth. God wants a power filled church one that puts it all over social media for, 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 for look at us, but that there's a genuine move of God, a genuine power of God in your life, a genuine walk of God. He wants to do it, but he can't do it with a bride that is not consecrated. That's not set apart for the purposes of God. Is Jesus the leader of your life? Or is he just like an additive in your life? Is he just the extra in your life? Is he really leading? Does God have every area of your life set apart for him to use? I want to encourage you. that challenge you that God desires to do something in your life. He doesn't want to just use Louis Burgos, Pastor Mary Green, Pastor Sandy, Pastor David, Pastor Sessie. He did not want to just use people with titles. He wants to use every believer in the body. Every son, every daughter filled with the Spirit of God. But in order to see this, you have to turn from unrighteousness. Turning from sin in your life. Can I challenge you, young adults, don't settle for good enough. Don't settle for close enough. Don't settle for similar if God has promised you exact. Don't settle for I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible and now Pastor David I don't even give. But I'm still sleeping around? Could we not? Could we do the whole thing the whole way for the Lord Jesus? Could we not live in drunkenness and could we not live Can we challenge ourselves to be fully available to God? Can we not be a walking contradiction? Can we not be hypocritical? Don't settle for being close enough. Don't settle for, I've made some progress. But say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you've got. I want to see you move and shift in our life. And Lord, as you do it in the church, I want to be with what you're doing. I want to be in alignment. I want to be in right standing. I want to be at that place where, Lord, I am walking in your holiness because the holiness of God, it brings a presence you couldn't comprehend, that you're walking in alignment with the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you for many people, it's only the mercy and grace of God that has covered us. But there is coming a day in the church where the Lord, he desires to bring a power and a spirit-filled atmosphere carried when you have compromise in your life come on would you stand with me this morning as the prayer team makes their way up we're going to take a moment here we're going to worship we're going to have a time of prayer I want to encourage you the scripture it commands us that if we know there's sin in our life, that we should come and we should repent, that we should give our lives to the Lord, that we should surrender, that we should do all types of stuff. Among those things that we are called to do repeatedly is to repent and bring our hearts before the Lord. There's a high probability that as I prayed and as I preached, as we worshiped, that you became self-aware of areas of your life that are not in alignment with the Lord. And Here's my, here's my challenge to you. It's a double challenge. Number one, if the Lord is speaking to you, don't be distracted, right? If he's speaking to you about any area of your life that is out of alignment, whether it's unforgiveness, bitterness, sin, whatever you know that is there that is not of God, my encouragement and challenge to you is that you would repent from it today. And then secondly, my challenge is this, is that often in church we never want to come to the altar call because that's for the sinful people. Can I tell you that that is just a step of faith, saying, God, there's something privately happening in my life and I want to publicly walk it out in my legs. I want to show that there's something happening. I want to touch and agree. Can you repent from your seat? Absolutely, unequivocally you can. But there's something about taking a step, a public step. Scripture calls it, Paul calls it a race. They were running this race of Christianity, this race of faith. My, My hope, my prayer as your pastor is that you would race to the altar in seasons of your life. you would race and say God I don't want to have to wait for the first person to come but I'm gonna be the individual And so in just a moment I want to pray and I want to encourage you and challenge you that if there's any area no matter how long the line is that is out of alignment in your life that you submitted to Jesus and that you submitted to God and that you give God in your heart and in your mind and in your life a fresh clean start because God's doing something in the house but what God's doing in the house calls for consecration. It calls for holiness. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, there's so many of us in this room who have areas where we need to submit to you. Areas where we haven't been faithful. We've been knowingly walking in sin or we've been knowingly compromising. Father, I just pray that you would speak to every heart and mind alike, that every person in this place to respond to your call today. Father, if there be any who don't know your son, Jesus Christ, that they would come to know him today. That they would surrender their hearts and their minds to him. Father, do it and have your way. In Jesus' name if that's you just come we're going to pray we're going to worship here we're going to believe God for a touch on your life don't delay you come